So, so I can do something for that. Bit glad we haven't got lots of children in here, because that's always a tricky thing to explain at Christmas, isn't it? Um, and then you look at the Romans one. It's like, okay, this is a bit more tricky, really, isn't it? Just kind of, there's no shepherds, there's no angels, there's no virgin, there's no star. It's like, okay, why is it there? So this morning I want to have a look um, kind of at what the other readings say through the prism of that kind of Romans reading. Because once you look into it a bit more, it does talk an awful lot about Christmas. And whenever I'm kind of in that place of thinking, what does this mean? And I quite often go to another translation um, because it means I can say to you at the front on Sunday morning, I've looked at more than one translation. Um, and, and obviously that helps and makes me look scholarly. And if that doesn't work, then I, I, I find I get lots of big books out. Um, you'll be pleased to know I'm not reading them all, but there are kind of bits of things I wanted to read out of them. Um, so I found like a copy of the message um, because I think it says things in a different way. And sometimes that's really helpful. And all of a sudden, when you read it, suddenly the Christmas story takes on a whole new meaning. The thing I like about this, having read it, is to see that actually it describes in a few sentences the Christmas story without any mention of a babe, of kings or magi or shepherds or stars or angels or anything. And what it says, and I want to look at these today, the sacred writings contain preliminary reports by the prophets on God's son. His descent from David roots him in history. His unique identity as as son of God was shown by the spirit when Jesus was raised from the dead, setting him apart as the Messiah, our master. Through him we receive both the generous gift of his life and the urgent task of passing it on to others who receive it by entering into obedient trust in Jesus. You are who you are through this gift and call of Jesus Christ. Really sums it up. And the four things that I kind of pulled out of there to think about the birth of Christ are prophecy, humanity, divinity, and generosity. I was pleased I got them all to rhyme. I thought that counted, so I'm not going to try and make them all begin with the same letter. Okay? So we'll just go with that bit. So it you know, feels a bit sermony. They all kind of rhyme. They're all about the same length. But I hope you'll forgive me. They don't all start with the same letter. Okay, so prophecy. It's a bit from Romans. The sacred writings, Bible, Scripture, contain preliminary reports by the prophets on God's Son. In other words, the Old Testament, written long before Jesus came, told us lots about him. And often, some of the readings we have at Christmas, you hear snippets and you think, that does sound like Jesus. That sounds like something to look forward to. So Isaiah says really clearly, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Matthew really clearly picks it up and quotes that bit in his gospel. Verse 23, all this took place to fulfil what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. So you have 
that prophecy that starts in Isaiah is f- comes to fruition in Matthew, and then this bit in Romans that says there's some preliminary things in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus. There's a bit of background knowledge in the Matthew bit, um, certain vagueness before they came together, nudge nudge. Okay, but the rest of the passage makes it very clear that Joseph couldn't offer an explanation as to how his fiancée had become pregnant. Um, we found in our Christmas box this year, I'll come on the shelf, um, a, um, a book written by a very clever public speaker called Gervais Finn, who's a Christian. He was a schools inspector, and he wrote a fantastic book which sums up some of what he has to put up with at Christmas. Um, when he gets invited to see lots of nativities. And it's called A Wayne in a Manger. Okay, some group had thought that Jesus was in fact called Wayne because of the song. And he tells a story, and I don't know if it was scripted or unscripted, where Mary and Joseph, traditionally wearing the tea towels on their head, um, being dragged across, Mary being dragged across the stage, and they get to the innkeeper's door, knock on the door, and they say... We need a place to stay. We need a place to stay. You know, you must help us. And the innkeeper comes out and says, well, I can't help you. And Joseph says, but my wife, she's pregnant. And the innkeeper says, nothing to do with me. To which Joseph goes, I'm in the same boat, mate. Nothing to do with me either. So there is this kind of thing about virgin birth. It gets a prophecy. It comes to fruition. Prophecy is about God telling us that he has a plan and then carrying it out. The first prophecy that speaks of Jesus is all the way back in Genesis 3. It's not a huge prophecy. It doesn't detail when he's going to be born. It doesn't detail anything about virgins or wise men or Bethlehem. But it details God saying, don't worry, I've got a plan. So that's prophecy. Humanity, the bit in Romans. His descent from David roots him in history. The earlier bit in Matthew, which if I'd been really cruel, perhaps I should have asked Ian to read, is the whole kind of genealogy that lists and details where Jesus was born. And that's how, at that time, people kind of were able to identify who people were. From our point of view, it gives a list of people who would have called Jesus' son or grandson. The chances are, we know, that there was somebody who called him brother, that there was somebody who called him cousin. And you look at that and you think, it's not too much to imagine that there was probably somebody who called him nephew, and maybe even somebody who called him uncle. This kind of family group, it puts him at a place and a time in history. Not, not a very pleasant time in history. This very nice nativity scene, everybody looks, well, frankly, rather rotund, rather well-fed, rather well-nourished. Um, the wooden one we have at the back, they look a little bit more skinny, but that's probably the design of it. Um, and there's straw around there 
but it's nice clean straw. And none of the little animals that we have in all the nativities that we have actually smell very horrible. Um, a few years ago, Claire and I happened to, we were at a farm show, kind of a lambing season, and actually got to see a lamb being born. It was a mucky thing. And that was a clean environment with what we understand about bugs and germs and everything else. When Jesus was born, it wasn't into a pleasant time. And actually, that's just Mary and Joseph's story. If you look at the wider picture, they were traveling to Bethlehem because the Romans had commanded them to do. It was an occupied time. As a husband and as a father, I do feel a bit sorry for Joseph. That kind of thing of Mary saying, you know, all of this stuff going on and Joseph being unable to, to provide for his wife when they were, you know, not quite just, well, newly married or at that stage. Um, difficult. Jesus' arrival into humanity was into a filthy, stinking, occupied world where even his parents were turned away from support in the middle of what would have been Joseph's hometown in their hour of need. But do you know what? That's not unusual. If you look at the other passages that we, we look across, um, in Isaiah, it talks about how it's in the middle of basically a war going on. If you read the start of that chapter, it talks about that Ahaz, son of Jotham, the king of Uzziah, was king of Judah. King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel. So Judah and Israel are split. And Israel joins with Aram to go and fight Judah. There's a whole battle going on. And Judah, part of God's people, have been betrayed by their brothers, Israel, who have teamed up with another king to come and invade the land. If you look at the pit in Romans, just over the page, just the next bit in the same chapter, it talks about God's angry pleasure, and I'm reading again from the message, angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. And Marianne's prayers spoke about some of the things that are going on in the world today. With Aleppo. With bombs. With all sorts of things going on. God came into a messy world. But that's not unusual. Our world is often messy. So prophecy. God has a plan. Humanity, that plan can reach down to the very depths of human existence. Divinity. The next bit of the Romans passage says, his unique, so Jesus' unique identity as son of God was shown by the Spirit when Jesus was raised from the dead, setting him apart as the Messiah, our master. Now you know that something's important if it gets said more than once standard Christian things. If some things get repeated in the Bible, you know it's important. I don't know how well you know the creed. Um, as I say, as a Baptist, learned it a bit more over the last few years than I did when I was growing up. 
But the bit in the creed that gets repeated the most. It's a very repetitive phrase. And it says, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. It really does say, are you listening? When Jesus came down, it wasn't as a godly person. It wasn't as someone who was a bit like God or who knew lots about God. It wasn't someone who was in the image of God. It was God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. So make no mistake about it. The, the, the creed and the Bible really clearly explain that Jesus is God. Isaiah uses the word Emmanuel. Matthew uses it again, and very helpfully, gives an explanation. God with us. Paul makes it plain. He's our master, the Messiah. So prophecy, God has a plan. Humanity that reaches into the depths of our world. Divinity and puts God there in our midst. God with us. Um, found another passage that I thought was very interesting. Not um, a biblical passage, but a short paragraph by an author called Dorothy Sayers, who you may or may not have heard of. For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death. God had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and lack of money, to the worst horrors, pain, humiliation, defeat, despair and death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and felt it well worthwhile. Let me read it again. For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrow and deaths. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with creation, and I have to say, that phrase doesn't sit nice with me, that the idea is God's playing with creation. I don't think it is. But whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and lack of money, to the worst horrors, pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and felt it well worthwhile. God has a plan that reaches into the depths of our world and puts God there in our midst. Generosity. Through him, that's Jesus, we receive both the generous gifts of his life and the urgent task of passing it on to others. You are who you are through this gift and call of Jesus Christ. The NIV phrases it, you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. But I have to say, I do like that phrase in the message. You are who you are 
through this gift and call of Jesus Christ. God saw at the time of Isaiah, at the time of Jesus' birth, at the time Romans was written, and dare I say it now, a world in a mess. Not just a world, a world made up of people also in a mess. Individual lives. And he had, and he has, a plan. God stepped into this mess, coming down from the highest heights of heaven to the depths of humanity, and he brought with him his divine nature. There's that passage in Philippians that talks about how God, being in the same nature of Jesus, being in the same nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave it all up to take on the mantle of a servant, I think is how it goes. But that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story. He saw our problems. He had a plan which cost him dearly. And he carried it out. You know how earlier when I was speaking to the children, we talked a bit about how easy it is, particularly for children, to see Christmas as tinsel and trimmings. And it's nice when they say things like family time and bless them. They are also well versed in the idea of Jesus and what people say at Christmas time that none of them said it's all about Jesus because they knew that was my line. So bless them for that. <laughs> but they, they were all very good at that and they all know, you know this is a bit where we hear, no, it's not about tinsel, no, it's not about the presents. Oh, it's about Jesus coming as a baby. And they know that. Certainly as they get older, they'll know that more and more. But actually the message for you as grown-ups and I say that, still not sure I'm part of that group. But the message for you as grown-ups is that actually, obviously, don't look at Christmas as the tinsel and the trimmings and the tree and the presents and that. Do, have a lovely time, but don't think of it as just that. Don't look beyond that to a nativity scene. No matter how accurate it is, where you've got kings who by right should arrive two years later and you've got shepherds who arrive at midnight and a baby who comes at some point and a star and lots of other things and lots of smells and all those other bits and pieces. It's lovely to look at, but you need to look beyond that. So, over there, Christmas tree and the lights. Look a bit beyond that to a nativity. And of course, rather nicely, the next thing to look beyond is the cross. But actually, that is the Christmas story. Jesus came into a world full of mess. He brought with him his divinity to impact on our humanity. Not like this, but like this. It is about God stepping down into his creation with a plan to die for our sins, to offer us life and a way for death to lose its sting. I want to read another part of that Romans passage that I kind of touched on earlier. That bit about acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing. But a little bit further on, and again, I have to say, when I read this in the message, 
all of a sudden it kind of comes out a bit. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. I like our nativity set, and this is the one we brought in from home because we can show the children and everything else. Um, I like having a Christmas tree up in the lounge. I enjoy spending time with family. Um, I'm looking at the presents that are gathering around the Christmas tree and resisting the temptation to try and work out what anything is. Um, and it's okay to enjoy those things. It's okay to look past that at the nativity and see the real thing. But if you're only looking here and not here, then I'd go so far as to say that you've traded the glory of God for cheap figurines. So happy Christmas. And enjoy it. And when we were thinking about kind of what songs to have at the end and what songs to sing, Rose sent out an email and I sent a reply saying, it's Christmas, we've got to sing some carols. But let's try and find some carols that have some biblical truths in them. That actually think about some of those bits. So as we, um, we'll have a bit of time for um, you to think and reflect about how this year you can think beyond just a simple Christmas. Perhaps you might want to spend some time praying about the mess that your life might be in. Or the mess that you might come into in the new year. Um, perhaps you might want to give thanks to God for the times he's got you out of the mess in the past year Um, and last week I was with some friends of mine who I went to university with and was amazed at the hardships that some of them have been through in the last year and how each and every one of them praised God for how he had got them out of it I was genuinely moved So it does happen. God sees you out of those problems. He comes out of his divinity into your humanity with all of his generosity. Let's just spend a few minutes in quiet and prayer.